what's going on everybody episode number 87 of the big blue in the bronx podcast agp back again you can find us or find me at least on the platforms to the left spotify podbean twitter instagram youtube as well for the video version of these podcasts thank you guys for coming back again supporting um i'll probably start a patreon soon i know i'm not really a grabber for money um but i do want to get one started you know Maybe I'll do a couple of giveaways, who knows, um, but obviously that will be down the line. So we have some stuff to talk about today. Only one Giants thing, which will probably a little bit relate into my, what my Yankees thing is going to be about. So first off, the Giants waived Shaq Taylor and Damari Scott. Both those guys, you know, they're basically scraps. Shaq Taylor was, um, you know, in training camp last year, then he opted out. And basically, he was opted out the whole season, so he didn't play. Damari Scott, basically the same thing. So, um, I don't think there'll be a cap raise because of their cuts. Probably because it's not a set 53-man or... I don't know. There's something with the rules in the league that... If you don't have like a 53-man roster, including... It's a mess. But whatever, the Giants do not um, save anything big from those contracts but anyway so let's talk into the baseball topic which will eventually talk about something related to the Giants and obviously J.J. Watt he was cut from the Texans today so it was revealed this morning and they've been you know going through the motions of this for a couple of days where they're going to shorten the spring training schedule and where they're going to basically shorten the distance of traveling and whatnot you know cut it to like five teams so that came out today. The Yankees are playing only five teams. Toronto, Baltimore, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. And I could give you that in basically a schedule right here. Um, we play Toronto the 28th, which is a Sunday at 105. Hopefully it's broadcasted. Monday, Detroit, Baltimore on the 2nd. And, you know, just those five teams in a scatter of days, obviously, opening day is scheduled for April 1st. If you want the schedule, you could look, go look it up on... Yankees.com. I know a couple other people put it out there. I will probably put it out myself when this podcast is done recording. Um, the reason for that, meaning the whole entire, um, you know, five teams only you're playing with, is less travel. And it makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't in a way. I understand the COVID restrictions. I had COVID. Okay, so it's not just like I'm going into this conversation blindfolded. I had COVID. I suffered through some of the symptoms. That was about December, around the time that the Giants were playing the Browns and the Cardinals. Nonetheless, let's leave that topic off for the side. That I don't understand about that, you know, the travel aspect. Because the Yankees are scheduled to travel to the West Coast. Now, I get it, you don't want any, you know, bump-ups of COVID breakouts and that stuff in spring training when you have to prepare for the season. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And listen, I'm a baseball fan, I'm going to keep watching. I'm a Yankees fan, I will definitely keep watching. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense to where you're having them travel to Oakland and Houston in the regular season. To my understanding from the schedule, the Yankees will play obviously 162 games, but they will, in terms of facing the National League, they will stay in the NL East, but they will still face Minnesota and all the West Coast teams. 
Central, the West. You know, it basically is like any other year. Obviously, COVID factors into that, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense where, okay, you're in one state, but you're only subject to play five teams. I mean, I'm surprised the Rays aren't on there, to be honest, because, like, the Rays are, I'm pretty sure, at least near George M. Steinbrenner Field, which is actually right behind me. Um, probably next year, I do want to go to George M. Steinbrenner Field. Me, my brother, and a friend were talking about it. We're like, you know what? Maybe if we have enough money next year, we could rent an Airbnb or something in Florida, and we could go to George M. Steinbrenner Field. Because, you know, if you go down there, or at least in my opinion, if you go down there for spring training, you should at least see more than one game. I mean, it's not going to be $20,000 for one seat. This is not a playoff game. This is not Yankee Stadium. This is George M. Steinbrenner Field. So I would like to get a decent spot, maybe two or three spring training games we see. And the fact about that is, going back to my point about the travel restrictions and everything like that, um, it's going to make spring training, from a fan standpoint, less interesting. I said this to a friend. I said, with this now... You know, this whole thing happening and us only playing Toronto, Baltimore, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. It's going to be boring. Because you're going to see the same set of players, the same lineup, the same substitutions every time you face them. Or at least different variations, but some of the same players. You know, I never actually, you know, would look at the rosters of Detroit and all the guys in the Grapefruit League. I would never do that. You know, that's just not me. I'm not going to go study everybody's roster in spring training. What are you going to do about that? But it's just going to get boring. You know, oh, this guy's coming in. I've seen him before. So from a fan standpoint, it's going to be boring. But thank God we get baseball back. Thank God the Yankees get to play how many games that they're playing. Thank God they get to travel a little bit, get out of their home stadium in George M. Steinberg Field. And I'm just happy to have baseball back within two weeks. But another thing I'm pissed off about is, and this could be part of the future, slightly, slightly part of the future, is the fact that the MLB said, listen, managers can negotiate and make five to seven inning games, exhibition games, spring training. I'm thinking to myself, are we playing Wii Sports here? Are we playing Little League? Because I played six innings in Little League. I did not play nine. But that's kind of stupid. And it's kind of unfair. Do I think that the managers will do that? Yes, some will, some won't. In my opinion. I mean, we might see a small sample size. But I think that a majority of managers will go out there and say, Hey, listen, we got to... Do this for our young guys. We got to get them the reps. They haven't played in, you know, a year and a half. So we got to give them the reps. And that's it. And in my opinion, with doing that, I think it's unfair to the players like it would be for the NFL preseason to be canceled. Because it was canceled last year. Everybody knows that. But when you've had time to come up with protocols, time during the, the recent breakout of COVID, including the new variant, you know, it just seems like MLB was sitting there on their ass twiddling their thumbs. And now they're saying, okay, you know what? Our lack of responsibility is now the players' fault, you know, the minor leaguers. And we're going to make them play less. Because, at least from a Yankee standpoint, from all the years I've been watching Yankees baseball as a fan, 
The minor leaguers would come in the 5th inning, the 6th inning, sometimes they would do the 7th inning, maybe too. Sometimes they may even start. And another part, the Yankees have no split squads, which is another problem resulting in that. And I know you guys have heard the rant about the NFL preseason. This is as detrimental to the players alike to that. I don't like that there is no split squads. I get it. Travel reasons, sure. But you know what? At least with those two teams or how many ever teams you play, you know, let's just say you have Toronto and then maybe Baltimore's off. Schedule a split squad. Wouldn't that make sense? Get your minor leaguers some reps. Get your non-roster invitees some reps. I mean, that just seems a little unfair. And there's modern baseball fans out there that, you know, think otherwise and do this and do that. That probably are for Manfred stuff because they think it's going to benefit them in the future because of, oh, uh, lessening games, less time games, baseball's too long. Well, those fans don't know a lot. Let's just put it that way. And I get it. I'm part of Generation Z or whatever. I don't really care. I was born in 2003, but that's not my point right now. My point being um, that I may act like an old-time baseball fan because of the people I'm surrounded by, A, and B, the way I think. So, and a lot of people out there. Now, the beat media, I dislike. People have seen that from my giant stuff. People have seen that in other cases as well. Don't consider me beat media because I write for Uncut Sports News. Don't consider me that way because I don't have sources. Right now, our site is basic editorials and NASCAR recaps. For right now. Obviously, we're going to be going back up. If you guys haven't already, check out some articles on there. Keith's on there. All things Giants. But the beat media, let's talk about the MLB beat media. There's Bob Nightingale, John Morosi, John Heyman. There's also Jeff Passan, who might be a scumbag because of what he did with the Jared Porter situation. Obviously, ESPN and all the guys, the broadcasters, the organizational people from there... They came in defense of him and said, well, he had nothing to do with it. Meanwhile, Craig Carton attacked him on WFAN, and Jeff Passon said, you know, I didn't do anything. You know, basically cowering out of the whole thing. That's not my point right now, though. And I've seen some beat reporters basically excited for these new rules, excited for this, that, and the other thing. And MLB Network did a great job last year, at least from what I heard, because I didn't watch MLB Network like I usually do last year. Last year, apparently, according to a friend of mine, they praised the new rules about the universal DH, the extra inning rules. And they're not bringing the universal DH back this year, which, you know, I have my views on it. You know, for the fans, you get to see pitchers hit, but, you know, with pitchers hitting, you get injuries. Max Scherzer and A.J. Burnett are examples. But what they did bring back this year was the runner on second rule, and the seven-inning doubleheader rule, which is completely stupid. And you could say, and the fans could say, oh, you know, you don't understand, that's COVID protocols. No, it's not. Because that's what they're going to do continuing from this year on. Even when maybe COVID, you know, everybody gets vaccinated and it's like the flu. It's like flu season. Maybe when COVID is gone, you know, they might change. But I don't see that happening. I see this as a guinea pig experiment. Where the MLB tries to induce new rules, implement them, and say, okay, we made a decision. It's not just for the COVID era, but this is for the future as well. 
And you may see that. Let's just say maybe next year, and I don't want this to happen, of course. Maybe next year, COVID is a little less. Maybe everything is not back to normal, but a lot of people are saying it will be, hopefully it will be. Let's just say maybe to the worst of circumstances that COVID is still around maybe like it is now and you'll have your breakups and your breakouts every now and then. MLB then might just implement robotic strike zones. I'm no fan of MLB umpires. I am not. Laz Diaz, Bob Davidson, uh, Angel Hernandez, all those guys are terrible umpires or were. If you guys want to check out what I asked him, go on my couple previous episodes ago, those back in, I think, July, August, somewhere around that time frame, I interviewed former MLB umpire Dale Scott. Very good interview, in my opinion. Because it's not like I was roasting him or whatever, but he gave me his standpoint. And I'm not for a robotic strike zone. I understand, you know, they want, you know, perfect. They want, you know, everything to be great. No arguments, whatever. But what if a robotic strike zone glitches? You know, what if it pitches right down the plate and it says, nope, it's a ball. That's the problem. And you're keeping people out of jobs, in my opinion, with that. They might say and use the excuse, oh, well, the umpire behind the plate, you know, because of COVID reasons, because of COVID reasons, we're going to take them out from behind the plate and we're going to put a robotic strike zone in. Now, they've been trying this apparently in the Atlantic League and the Independent Leagues. Because that's basically the guinea pig league of baseball. I think the Atlantic Leagues and the Independent Leagues earn money that way. Because it only makes sense. But again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't know the whole truth. But my point is, in this whole talk, is that this is not just for this year. You will see this happen in the future. Just like when Michael K. always brings up, Oh, you know, the broadcasters, they might just stay in the studios from now on. I feel like... In a sense, he wants to do that because he wants to stay home. If I was a broadcaster, and that's what I want to be when I get older, I would love to go places. If I had a game in L.A., yeah, sure, I'd be away from my family. But I'd love to go places. I'd love to be in L.A. I'd love to be in different places. I'd love to be in Texas. Places I've never been before. But then you have those lazy broadcasters. Doesn't mean they're not good at their job. But those lazy broadcasters, nah, I want to stay home. Because of new technology. I want to stay home. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then the billionaires will you know, come in and say, Okay, you're saving us money by staying home, so we're going to implement this. See, that's what's wrong with this. That's what's wrong with this whole COVID pandemic. And I, you know, I want technology for the future. I want this. I want that. Trust me. I'm a fan. I have my own views on everything. You know, It's not just based on no technology or technology. But some of these things that are being implemented as guinea pig trials are not good, in my opinion. For the future of a different couple things, depending on where you stand. The broadcaster thing, as I just mentioned, I would love to go out to LA. I would love to go out to different places. But if they say to me, you know, when I become a broadcaster, hopefully, of like NFL or NBA or MLB, they say, listen, we're not doing this thing anymore where it's called traveling. You're going to stay in your home stadium or you're going to stay in a studio. I would not be happy with that. But because it's my job, I would have to comply with it. Then you move to the MLB, then you move to the MLB standpoint of things. In that situation, they're trying out all these new rules and all these new seven-inning doubleheader, um, 
maybe universal DH. Seven inning doubleheader, uh, robotic strike zone, the uh, runner on second rule. That, let me tell you something, guys and girls, my audience. If you think that that sample of rules is just for this year, you are sadly mistaken. Because they found, as in the MLB, this perfect time to say, okay, let's implement some new rules. And I'm going to get into the minor leagues in a moment. And when I'm talking about the minor leagues, what I mean by that, minor league teams were cut this year. About how many of them, I don't know. For Yankee reasons, affiliates, whatever, affiliates, I call them affiliates, but my friend says no, it's affiliates. Pulaski was removed. Charleston was removed. Staten Island Yankees removed. But meanwhile, the Dominican Summer League and the Gulf Coast League were kept. But that's not necessarily the point I want to go to. People were saying, oh, you know, cutting the minor leagues, it was only COVID pandemic. It was only, you know, uh, reasons because of the pandemic and the billionaires, you know, they need to save money. Well, first of all, there's a lot of fans out there that, and B reporters too, you know, they're not safe from my argument. They're not safe from getting roasted here. A lot of them were on the side of, oh, we got to pay the players this much money. We got to pay them their full salary. And if you guys watch my videos from july august of last year i was not in favor of paying them the full amount the billionaires should have never you know complained oh i'm losing money well you make how many billions of dollars every year but my point of this is that i was on the side of not paying players the full you know salary because you're only playing like how many percentage of games you know that would be in a 162 game season what was it 60 games last year 162 games in a regular season why would you earn the full salary? Take a pay cut like everybody else. There's a lot of fans that were in that argument against it, saying, oh, you know, the billionaires, they're bad. You know, the billionaires, you know, they're trying to save money. The players should get the full percent. Meanwhile, when it comes to minor leagues, a lot of people want to cut them. That's unfortunate. Because, once again, going back to the point, if you guys don't think this is a part of the future, you're sadly mistaken. And I'm not no conspiracy theorist. I'm not no guy who has a crystal ball in front of me telling me what the future is going to be. It's not me. But for anyone who doesn't know this, the MLB was proposing to cut minor league teams even before the 2020 season. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. So if anyone just like generally doesn't have an idea of like why they're doing this and stuff I would suggest you listen to the last couple of minutes of what I just said and going back to the minor leagues they reorganized the affiliates AAA East AAA West AA Central AA Northeast AA South all this and it's on my paper here because I usually have planned paper as I call it or my scheduled paper right here it only goes to low A. Now, if you are a Yankee fan and you haven't been keeping up, the double A team for us, that's the Somerset Patriots. The single A team for us, that's the Hudson Renegades. The Hudson Valley Renegades. Then the low A team for us is the Tampa Tarpons. From then on, no Pulaski, no Staten Island. 
And I'm um, forgetting one. No, Charleston. Charleston was removed. It was originally a low A team, I think. You're penalty gone. And people are saying, oh, now they're part of the draft league. Yeah, bull crap. How much money is going to be allocated through there? Then, from the low A, you go down to Dominican Summer League. You go down to Rookie League. So, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you are a sensible fan. And what the MLB is doing is taking away from the small communities, the traditional communities. We're talking about expansion teams for some reason in the major leagues. Which city should deserve an expansion team? Can we figure out the minor leagues first, please? Can we figure out where all these free agent players, these cut players from those minor league systems are going to go first before we say, oh, you know, expansion team. Because, let's see, that's over 100, 200, maybe 300 players that are cut from those levels alone. They're not fitting in one system. They're just not. And when I'm going back to the traditional communities and small communities, it relates a little bit to my point about the expansion there's a lot of small towns that don't get minor league baseball, that don't even have um, a major league team. Like Tennessee, they don't have a major league team. The Nashville, uh, I forget their name. The Nashville something. I think it's a triple A team or it's a double A team. Team based in Nashville. Imagine if triple A was cut. What would the Nashville people, baseball fans, do then? You know, you could make the case even for Staten Island. My friend CJ, who was on last Sunday's stream, he was on the stream before that about, you know, last week with the Yankees episode. He worked for the Staten Island Yankees. Sure, maybe the Staten Island Yankees didn't do their jobs and made cheap band-aid replacements to some of the issues in the stadium. But how many people have lost jobs? How many people have nothing to work for? How many people, you know, in their small communities? It's just like PA uh, parents and stuff. What if they didn't have high school football? You're taking this away from them to save yourself money, Rob Manfred. You're saving yourself money. You're defending the billionaires. And don't act like... You know, oh, we were going to not do this if it wasn't for the pandemic. Bull crap. You were going to do this before the pandemic. The pandemic just gives you more of an excuse to cut people, to cut employees, to cut players, and to, and to totally just cut how many minor league teams across the league. None of this draft league bull crap. Don't give me that. That's one league replacing all of the New York Penn League. And all the other leagues and the teams. So don't give me that. So let's get into some happier subjects. I am happy to announce, well not personally me, but Governor Andrew Cuomo said that 10% capacity could be allowed starting I believe February 22nd at stadiums and arenas. So Nets, Knicks, Mets, Yankees. I would love to go back to a Yankee game. Here's one of my favorite moments at a Yankee game. And this was one of the few last games I've been to from 2019, obviously. This was the first game in 2019. I talked about it a little bit on the stream with CJ Nick. Here it is.
Judge. For some of you who couldn't recognize those two moments, I'll give it to you right now. First one was the judge leadoff home run on 420-19. Um, judge batting second, hitting the home run to right field against Kansas City Royals. That is the game where Glaber Torres hit that home run, but they called it out. Boone got ejected, and then obviously the last moment is, I don't remember who was pitching. I think it was Holder, actually, or one of the other guys in the bullpen striking out the batter. End of the game, we sat in the nosebleeds that day. It was 10 bucks per ticket. But I advise you, Yankee fans, to just like, I would say, keep what you see online with a grain of salt. What do I mean by that? I mean by that because a lot of people now are going to start looking for tickets. And with that said, obviously season ticket holders will have first priority, first access. They may even take up a lot of you know, the seats that will be reserved at Yankee Stadium. 10% of Yankee Stadium, they hold, what is it, 54,000. So you got to do the math there. So you have to see with how many seats the season ticket holders take up. What do I also mean by the other thing I just said? Keeping with a grain of salt. What I mean by that is because you could go on Vivid Seats right now, you could go on StubHub, Ticketmaster, whatever. You could see, oh my God, you know, 28 tickets for left field uh, section 236. I think that is either in the upper deck or that's actually the bleachers in left field. That's like, you know, the benches and stuff if you've ever been there. So I advise you to take that with a grain of salt because I think Levine and all the New York Yankees guys in the front office, you know, the Steinbrenner family will be looking up those prices knowing that they did not have any fans. Yes, merchandise came in. Yes, they did it through other things as well. But Knowing that you had no fans last year, those ticket prices will go up. So I would highly suggest that you take what is on there with a grain of salt. I'm not saying don't go to a Yankee game. I'm not saying, you know, don't purchase tickets. But just take it with a grain of salt if you um, are in spring training right now. If you're watching spring training um, in the future, the next couple of days or whatever. And you go online and say, hey, wait a minute. This price you know was just up from like 28 bucks to i don't know 50 bucks that's what they're gonna do 
and somehow they will try to raise money. Sure, they would love to get fans back in the stadium for the purposes of money and raising it. And food, you better bet you better bet your ass that will be more expensive than ever. Yankee Stadium food, that's automatically expensive. I mean, I think I had to pay $7 for a milkshake one time. It was either that or an ice cream bowl. I think it was a milkshake. So you better bet that to be about $9. Or $7 for a soda. I don't remember. But you better bet your ass that they will probably up that price. Because they have to pay the people going back into the stadiums for maintenance. And, you know, the guys who work there. The vendors. And the people who work at the food places. So I'm just saying, out there... Be happy the Yankees are back. Be happy that, you know, the fans are coming back to the stadium. But also take it with a grain of salt because of the ticket prices and who has first priority. So obviously in another set of news, uh, Yankees have not spoken to Brett Gardner. No surprise there. Socrates, Brito, Greg Allen know how many outfielders they signed this offseason, even if they're non-roster invitees. Gardner I don't see coming back, and I necessarily don't have an issue with it. I mean, he's played for the Yankees his whole life. I love Brett Gardner, but uh, there's not really a reason anymore to keep him on the roster. And you traded for Greg Allen. You have this outfield depth. Finally put Frazier in a starting spot. Don't prioritize someone else over him. An unknown commodity versus a known commodity. Just doesn't make sense. So let's go into the top 10 Yankees prospects going into spring training. Uh, number one is Jason Dominguez. With his offseason program, he has been impressing a lot. I would love to see... What he does, obviously he's in rookie ball right now, so he won't be making it to the majors anytime soon. He'll probably, by ETA standards, be coming up 2023-2024. Clark Schmidt, second guy, MLB. Obviously we saw a glimpse of him last year in some spots, but also the Yankees didn't really treat him well in terms of where they put him in situations because one of the reasons and one of the spots they put him in was Adam Adovino giving up how many runs, 10 run bullpen inning, and they and then they just threw him in there like a backup quarterback. So they got to do better prioritization of their prospects. Number three, Divey Garcia. Another MLB guy. He was 3-2 and two last year with like a 3.96 ERA or something like that. Um, I would like to see if he makes the back end of the rotation. Obviously, a lot of Yankee fans, or at least you know, definitely a small portion, are vying for James Paxton to come back. I don't see that happening, nor would I give him the money. Uh, but you have to stop trading. And just believe in your young guys. You know, that's the thing with New York media. Giants, obviously a lot of people wanting to sign J.J. Watt, trade for Watson. They want something bigger but realize that the prospects, the young guys they have are good. You know, you just work on them a little bit and you'll be fine. You have the right coaching. You have the right, you know, surroundings. And going back to my point, I know I'm, you know, trajecting this in here a little bit. But what I'm saying, going back to the point about the B reporters, is that I saw something on uh, Twitter. So this guy basically commented under Art Stapleton's post because he made an article basically saying, oh, should the Giants get J.J. Watt? Of course, we all knew that was coming out. And this guy says, well, he's played 32 of the last 64 games or something like that. And 64 games obviously measures for four seasons long, including if your team goes to the playoffs. So you got to do the math there. And J.J. Watt, he's been injury-prone the last how many years of his career. His last multi, I would say, 10-plus sack season was 2018 when he had 16. But my point is, you know, the guy said, hey, he's played 32 of the last 64 games. And Art goes out and criticizes him and says, oh, you know, what math is that? 
Is he a scheme fit? Basically tearing him apart. And that's where you get those undecided Giants fans to tear those Giants fans apart just because they have a different opinion, just because they don't want the stars and believe in their young guys. So that's what the beat media is, you know, does. It's what they're told to do. That's what they do because they have no personality. And that's why a lot of people come here on YouTube. Because they don't want to deal with no personality people or a bunch of wusses in the media and don't have an opinion. And always stick to the side of the people they work for. NG.com, LB.com, whatever. Anyway, Oswaldo Peraza, last time he was with the Tampa Tarpons, I think. Now he's going to be in low A with them. Uh, he's also on the Major League roster, 40-man roster, so he will be in spring training. Luis Gill, uh, last time in single A, he's going to be with the Hudson Valley Renegades, probably. Um, I think it was him or Luis Medina that was in the uh, Dominican League. Uh, I think Gill had like a one-in-one record with like a 5-point-something ERA, so... The Yankees pitchers in there have definitely been up and down. I know uh, Domingo Herman wasn't doing that great of late, and I guess the same with Gil or Medina or one of them. Austin Wells, uh, prospect number six. He got drafted in 2020, so probably going to be in rookie ball. Esteban Florio, MLB. Obviously, he's in the MLB now, but um, in my opinion, his trade value has gone down because we used to say, you know, when we wanted a pitcher or whatever, Trade Estevan Florial, should he be traded to another team? And I was against that, I'm not going to lie. But now that the Yankees brought him up last year, I think it was in the Mets series, and, you know, I think it was one for four and like four at bats or something like that, his trade value probably went down. I mean, Tyler Wade's probably went down a huge amount because of, you know, the way the Yankees like him, A, and B. I don't think any other team sees anything in him. Maybe the Marlins might, I don't know. But I just feel that Floreal's trade value has gone down if they wanted to trade for anybody and they would have to package a lot of prospects, A. And B, well, might as well use them now. Because if you're not going to re-sign Brett Gardner or if Stan's going to play DH, you got to have that fourth outfielder. Talkman or either Floreal. And there's probably another guy I'm missing, Greg Allen. But at the same point, use what you have. Number seven, Esteban Floreal, as I just mentioned. Number eight, Alexander Vizcaino, single A. Hudson Valley Renegades this year, probably. I think he also is on the spring training roster. Oddly enough, the Yankees have not announced, at least yet, their non-roster invitees in their full 75-man roster, which is really surprising to me. Or Actually, it's I think it's over 75. I don't know. But at this point, they usually announce their 75-man roster, whatever, the non-roster invitees, and they only have a portion of them, which I'll actually go over in a second. Uh, Uendries Gomez, number 9, low A, Tampa Tarpons. Probably going to be there this year. I think he also is on the roster. And number 10, Anthony Volpe with the Rail Riders. I never considered him really a prospect. I need to see more from him. But, you know, that doesn't mean I can't learn. Um, with the Rail Riders, I think he also is on the 40-man. So, likely non-roster invitees. This is only a small portion that the Yankees will probably call up. Um, obviously, we have 40 on the roster right now. This is probably only like at least 20. So you have Rob Brantley and Kellen Deglin as the catchers. Infielder Andrew Velasquez. I think he was with the Phillies for a little bit. Outfielder Socrates, Brito, Ryan Lamar, and Thomas Malone. And you also have pitchers Tyler Lyons, Nestor Cortez. Uh, Julius Chassin could probably vie for a reliever role or maybe the fifth spot. I don't know. He hasn't had a good last couple of years. Uh, also, Adam Warren, maybe a bullpen spot. Matt Bowman, he had Tommy John surgery last year, so I don't think he's doing anything. Um, I could be wrong, though. Luis Garcia, Lucas Luge, Asher Wojciechowski from the Baltimore Orioles, 
Kyle Barraclough from the Miami Marlins, and Reggie McClain. So, just to cap off the end of the episode, I am going to be doing a new series or list of the top 30 forgotten Yankees, or at least my top 30 forgotten Yankees of like my favorites. And I'll read you off the list right now. It is pretty extensive. So it'll go year by year. Number two, in 2010, these are the list I copied down. Chad Muller, Juan Miranda, Kevin Russo, Austin Kearns, and Chad Hoffman. You look at 2011, Aaron Laffey, uh, Eric Chavez, Jesus Montero, Brandon Laird, Chris Dickerson, Greg Golson, Andrew Brackman, Scott Proctor, Sergio Mitre, Hector Nossi, uh, Corey Wade, and Freddy Garcia. Look at 2012. We're going to scroll down a little bit. Um, DJ Mitchell, Chris Stewart, Melky Mesa, Darnell McDonald, Casey McGee, Chad Qualls, David Ardsma, Justin Thomas, and Derek Lowe. You look at 2013. Pretty extensive list. Mike Zagursi, Chris Buchek. I actually saw him pitch in Scranton once. Joy Almonte, Brendan Bosch, Thomas Neal, Ben Francisco, David Adams, former manager of the Staten Island Yankees, Vernon Wells, Jason Nix, Mark Reynolds, the former Baltimore infielder, uh, Cesar Cabral, David Huff, and Vidal Nuno. 2014, one of my favorites, Chase Whitley, Esmil Rogers, Yan Hervis, Solarte, Yuri Perez, Chris Young, Dean Anna, Brian Roberts, Scott Sizemore, Zealous Wheeler, who actually saw a play in Scranton as well. He had a homer in the game I was there. It was Mother's Day. Chris LaRue, Jeff Francis, Chaz Rowe, Bruce Billings, Brendan Ryan, Ill, and Jose Farrell. You look at 2015. Ramon Flores, Garrett Jones, Rico Noel, Slate Heathcott, Gregoria Petit, Rob Refsnyder, Brian Mitchell, Dustin Ackley, Brandon Pinder, Cole Figueroa, Caleb Cotham, Nick Goody, Chris Martin, Diego Moreno, Jose Ramirez, Nick Rumbelow, Sergio Santos, Matt Tracy, James Pazos, Jacob Lindgren, Danny Barawa, Chris Capuano, 2016, Eric Young, Ben Gamble, Donovan Solano, Chris Parmley, Ike Davis, Tyler Austin, Ronald Torres, Connor Mully, Blake Parker, Phil Koch, and Richard Blyer. Look at 2017, Chris Carter, Dustin Fowler, Garrett Cooper, G-Man Choi, Tyler Webb, Pete Cosma, Caleb Smith, Ronald Herrera, and Jaime Garcia. Excuse me if I'm, you know, looks like I'm not facing the camera, but I'm just reading off the doc I have saved. 2018, Danny Hechevarria, Jace Patterson, uh, Billy McKinney, AJ Cole, Stephen Tarpley, Neil Walker, Brennan Drury, Justice Sheffield. And you look at 2019, I'm not going to consider 2020 because it's obviously part of the 2010s. Bravik Valera, Cameron Mabin, Joe Mantiply, Brady Leo, Ryan Dole, Corey Gearin, and Jake Barrett. So that is the end of this episode, number 87 of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Um, I should have an interview. I'm not going to say if I do or not, but this guy has to get back to me. He's a former Yankee. He was actually on my list of forgotten Yankees. Oh, I have to see if it gets back to me in time because it's supposed to happen tomorrow. If it doesn't, oh well. Also, next uh, Tuesday, I'm going to be having a fan of one of my podcasts on to talk some Giants. I usually don't get that sort of engagement, so I said, yeah, why not? And he's pretty opposed to my opinions uh, regarding Dave Gettleman, Daniel Jones, and all these other guys. He's actually going to be creating a YouTube channel. Um, I don't know his name specifically, um, but it's like hashtag Joe Judge or something like that on Twitter. Giants Twitter, just be specific. Thank you guys for supporting. Thank you guys for coming out and watching another video. Podcast episode, obviously, you could find all the podcast platforms we are available on right here. Um, obviously, I got the green screen behind me so you couldn't see the full hand. But anyway, thank you guys. Enjoy your Friday. Spring training is only a couple of days away. It's going to be on the 28th, obviously, with this revised schedule. 